All right. Good evening. It's uh, great to have you. Let me see what I'm doing here. I'm trying to get us. I have lost my. Um, can y'all hear me? I hope y'all can hear me because I don't know what's happened out there in uh, um, live stream land. But I have temporarily lost my mouse connection, and I don't know why. And I probably just now lost our live stream connection, and I don't know why. No, I didn't. All right. Well, praise the name of living God. I don't know what's up with that. Um, <sighs> Amen. So if you're joining us online, we're, we're live, and I think you can hear me because I'm getting audio readings, but for some reason it's not allowing me uh, a mouse connection to swap these inputs and outputs. And I don't know what to do to change it. Oh, thank you, Lord. There it is. All right. Ta-da. When my daughter was very little, she would try to say ta-da, like when she did something. But she couldn't get the ta-da out, so she would like do something that she wanted to like impress us with, and she would go, ta-ta, right? So, uh, so ta-ta, we are live. Uh, salute to the men and women joining us. Um, part of this is truth, and part of this is prophesying around the world. I mean, we got folks in other countries that watch us, and so... Uh, yeah, it's exciting, exciting time. So for those of you who just joined us online, man, you've missed a, a lively conversation for the last 20 minutes or so here in the room as we were waiting uh, to go live and um, just talking about the goodness of God in the land of the living. And one of the things that we uh, established is that in order for something to be scriptural, you need some scripture. And there are a lot of people who say a lot of things about God and Jesus and the Bible and so forth and so on that the Bible doesn't support. And so that's one of the things that we enjoy by an extended time of teaching and learning and growing together is that we can take the time to really dig into some scriptures and, and, and look at these things. And so uh, among the things that we were talking about before uh, we started streaming is, um, it's a great question. I love this question, right? It's like, you know, why did Jesus say on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And of course, we know that when Jesus became our sins, that God the Father had to turn his back on Jesus. And that was, uh, I think, the hardest part of all the hard things that Jesus did on that day for you and me. And, um, and so thank God, amen, uh, because he was a sinless and spotless sacrifice. Uh, he went into, the, into death, hell, and the grave believing that God had already spoken, right? And he went there in faith because what did God say? God said, I will not. Father God declared that he would not allow Jesus' body to see corruption, would not allow him right to remain. And so Jesus died in faith, believing that his father would bring him back three days later. And, of course, he did. And so it's a beautiful thing. But the reality of it is um, he did it for you and me. He did it as you and me. And Romans 6 makes it very clear that when Jesus was raised up from the dead, that we were raised up together with Him to newness of life. And that's really what salvation is all about. It's identifying with the completed work of Jesus. And, and um, if you think about uh, when you were born again and how little you, you knew uh, compared to how much more you know now, okay? But the, the good news is um, what you have to know and believe to be born again is that Jesus is the Son of God and that God the Father raised Him from the dead. And, and what He did, He did for you to forgive you and to cleanse you of your sins, and you, whoever calls upon him will be saved, right? But what we learn later is that Jesus came to this earth as our substitute. He came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And I refer to this as identifying with the completed work of Jesus, identifying with the completed work of Jesus. And so what you really did when you were born again is you received for yourself what Jesus had already accomplished for you and even as you, 
All right. So here are the key things. Um, Jesus lived a sinless life. Well, I don't know about you, but I can't do that. Couldn't do it, didn't do it. And so when I could not live a sinless life for myself, Jesus came and lived one for me. When I deserve to die for my sin, Jesus said, no, no, I don't want you to die for your sin. I will die in your place. And so he became my sin and died uh, and, and was crucified uh, as a sacrifice, one sacrifice for all sin for all time. And then he was buried, and, and the Bible says that I was buried with him. And then he was raised, and the Bible says that I was raised with him, okay? How about, have you ever read it in, in Galatians 2 where Paul says, I was crucified with Christ? Amen. I, I, I was crucified with him, and, and then I was buried with him, and then I was raised with him. And if you really want to, like, get, get radical, believe what Ephesians 2 says. Ephesians 2 says that we are now seated together with him in the heavenly places. And so those are the six key elements of, of what Jesus did for us and what you receive. That's why Ephesians 2, when he goes into all this explanation of these things, there's a, there's a name for this doctrine. And the name for this doctrine is salvation, right? He says, he says for by, by grace you're saved, right? By, you know, it was grace unearned, but how do we, how do we receive it? Uh, we received it uh, by faith, Okay, by faith through grace. Okay, and so or through faith by grace. You know, different prepositions have order; they go in there. All right. So, amen. <clears throat> and that's just a lot of stuff that uh, I would just amen felt led to say. So we haven't prayed yet. If y'all are keeping score at home, we haven't prayed yet. So let's pray, and we'll get into um, class number thirty-six. Amen. Father, thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. Thank you for all that you've done for us. And fathers, we come together uh, again. I thank you for just your Holy Spirit. He convinces our hearts. He brings truth and understanding to us. And Lord, we uh, submit ourselves to him and recognize him now as our teacher. Lord, help us see uh, and see more clearly things that, that we haven't seen before. And Lord, I thank you that our eyes are being opened. Uh, our hearts and minds are being unlocked. And, and, the, and the mysteries of your kingdom are being revealed. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. and amen and amen. All right, so as we mentioned already, this is class number 36. And it is uh, Stickman Theology Part 3. And so let's, um, before we go any further, let's kind of throw up our, uh, our stickmen, although they're not stickmen any longer. And just remember now that you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. Um, and, and these are the three dimensions of our human existence. The real you is not the body that you see in the mirror. The real you is the born-again spirit that lives inside of the body that you see in a physical, natural mirror. And if you will notice, situated in between your spirit and your body is this thing the Bible calls your soul, or this dimension of your existence called your soul. And your soul is the part of you that thinks, feels, and chooses. It's your mind, emotions, and your will. Okay, And so when we read in Scripture of our salvation, we see our salvation in three different tenses. Past tense have been, present tense are being, future tense will be. Okay, And how we understand that is not... Um, you know, one sometimes, another at other times, and the third, who knows, okay? But it's all three simultaneously. Your spirit has been born again. This is where you became a new creation. This is where old things are completely done away with and all things have become new. Now, your soul, though, was not born again. 
This is a progressive work. It's the part that is being saved or is being sanctified. It is being transformed. It is being renewed. It is being reprogrammed. It is being reconditioned. Okay? Um, I'm pointing at a brother on the front row because so that was part of our conversation before we started live streaming. Okay? And so that is the real target, if you will, of discipleship because we said we've got to think of our soul as a valve. Okay? And somewhere in my notes I have a drawing that literally has a valve there like a spigot instead of a, uh, um, instead of a stick man with a soul there. Um, but your soul is a valve, and, and it can either let the life that's in you flow through into your physical body and life reality, or it can shut it down based upon how you think, how you see yourself, the image that you have of yourself. Okay, Then your body, uh, your soma, that's your flesh, your five senses, and your outward man. Now, in the evening service tonight here at Heritage, we're going to talk a little more about faith and how faith uh, relates to this inward reality of our new birth. Let me say this, because you know, from time to time we have people it's like, hey, Pastor Mark, why are we stopping at 36? Let's just keep going, okay? Well, look, if, if, if you're looking for uh, some more teaching and growth and, and things of that nature on uh, Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock, okay, um, we have our main uh, worship service here at Heritage. And right now we're in a study um, out of Colossians 1 where it says Christ in you. And um, the more the Holy Spirit teaches me, as a matter of fact, that's the subject of, of my new book. I'm about 25, 30,000 words in. Um, and, you know, the more the Holy Spirit shows me about that subject, the more excited I, I get about it. Okay, and so... so um, Anyway, you're free. Just tune in. Amen. It's, it's there and available to you. Okay. Um, so the real target then of discipleship is, is the renewing of the mind. Um, you know, what, what Jesus does in you through the new birth, right, um, it, before it will ever be experienced in your outward reality, um, your, your mind is going to have to be renewed. Now, I think, I think we talked about this last week, but this is a good verse uh, that relates to this. He says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul or even as your soul prospers. Okay, So prospering and being in health, that's first mentioned here, is, um, is referring to what you experience in your physical life reality. But notice that is dependent upon uh, your inward man, your soul prospering. Uh, because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, so is she. Okay, So Jesus makes us free, and he says that if the Son makes you free, you shall... Let me put this back up here, okay? Where does he make you free? He makes you free at the spirit uh, dimension of your existence, the real you, okay? But if he makes you free, that's different from shall be free indeed. Indeed means in your performed action. Well, where does performed action take place? Performed action takes place in, in our body, okay, in the, in the outward man. So God in His infinite wisdom understood that the only way we would ever live in freedom and walk in freedom is if we first were made free. The only way we would ever live and walk in righteousness is if He first made us righteous. And this is where a, a lot of churches and pastors and preachers and teachers get very confused because... They think the only way to ever, to ever be righteous is through a lifestyle of righteousness. And, and that's not how it works. It, the only way to ever truly be righteous is to allow God to make you righteous, for you to submit yourself, Romans 10, to the righteousness uh, and, and the gift of righteousness that He's made available to us. Now, once He makes you righteous, once you 
have been made righteous, you now have the wherewithal within you, okay, to live and walk out a righteous lifestyle. Are you seeing this? Remember, remember last week, a week before we talked about all a man's answers are, are reverse the arrows? Remember we said those arrows denote connection and direction? And, and so, but mankind tries to reverse the order. And so this is why religion tells you you got to perform your way into righteousness. See, that's, that's going completely backwards. And that's, that was the problem with the law. When, when God gave the law to us through Moses, it wasn't that those laws were bad. It wasn't that those laws were flawed or broken. Those laws were right, accurate, holy, uh, yes and amen. The problem was not with the law. The problem, according to Romans 8, was with the weakness of our flesh. And so we see then that the law was something on the outside of us, right? That now we're trying to live up to that standard to back our way into being right. See, your being is your spirit. Your doing is your body. Are you seeing this? And so if we don't, if we don't be righteous, how can we ever do righteous? And, and so we're trying to do enough righteousness to be righteous, but that's not how it works. The Bible says your self-righteousness is as filthy rags. It's in submitting to the righteousness that God has freely given to you, believing it, amen, accepting it, receiving it, bought and paid for by Jesus, His blood on the cross. And then the more you see yourself, where, where, where do you see yourself? You see yourself not in, with your physical eyes and your five senses, but we're talking about how you see yourself in your mind, the image that you have of yourself. Right. So if the image you have of yourself is opposed to opposite to who you truly are in Christ, your life reality is going to look more like the, the person you see yourself as, as opposed to the person you truly are. So you have a true image. That's your born again spirit. You have a self image. That's your how you see yourself in your heart and mind. OK, but then you have your projected image. And, and this is the image we try to project to the world, right? It's how we want people to see us. It's what we want other people to think about us. Amen. So you're talking about three images here. No wonder we're confused, right? Trying to keep up with all of this, okay? So it's when your self-image comes into alignment with your true image, right? Think of it as your spirit as the light. The Bible says the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord that searches the inward heart, okay? Think of your soul as the... Have you, have you ever seen like, I, don't, I know we're in a digital age, but you remember the old reel to reel films where, you know, you would thread it through and it would, and then, and then it would run through. Okay. So think of your spirit as the, as, as the projector, the lamp, if you will, your soul as the film that feeds through that light. And then your life reality, your body as the projected image. Okay. And so when our, Self-image is opposed to who we are and who we became today we become a new, new creation in Christ. Our projected image, what we experience in our outward reality, is not going to line up with who we truly are. But the more we see ourselves as the righteousness of God, the more we see ourselves as, as, as ones who've been made free. I, I love this phrase uh, in the New Testament, because you are sons. Amen, right? There's a difference between someone who is a son or daughter of God and someone who is not. And, and there are things that belong to us as sons and daughters of God that, that are available to other people, but do not belong to them because they have not yet received Him. Now, he says, I wish above all things, prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. All right, now, let's put this up one more time. 
<clears throat> we were created in God's uh, image, um, and, and so we see that we are a three yet one because God is a, tr- a three yet one triune God. Okay, now this let's get let's kind of I'm, I feel a little bit scattered because I've got so much I'm wanting to try to cram in tonight. Can you can you hold on tight and let's go for the ride together? Okay, um, so we were created in God's image. Um, and, and we are a three yet one being. And in God's image, um, the three yet one being functioned seamlessly as one. Okay? Sin ruined the seamless and harmonious function of the triune man. We could even say it this way, all right? Sin brought death and chaos to the triune man. You see, you, you were never meant to be ruled by your feelings. You were never meant to be dominated by your flesh. Are you seeing this, right? And so your flesh contains your spirit and your soul. Your soul uh, was designed to be a servant to you. The real you is your spirit, right? You were never meant to serve your emotions. Your emotions were meant to serve you. But when Adam sinned and disconnected himself from God and died spiritually, we see now that there's chaos in the triune man. Instead of these things working together seamlessly and flowing together seamlessly, you, you've got the flesh and, and, the, and, 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 and the emotions and, and, the, and, and our mind, just all of these things that are fighting for control of our lives. And we were created by God to be led by His Spirit, being one with our spirit. This is how we were meant to, meant to live. And so remember, Adam and Eve didn't even know they had a body until they sinned. And that's very hard for a lot of people to comprehend. It's like, how in the world could they not know they had a body? Well, I believe heaven looks at at, at so many people on this earth today and, and, and reverses the question. How in the world do you not know you are a spirit? They didn't know they had a body. We think we are a body and don't know we are a spirit, much less have a spirit. Amen. Are you seeing this, right? This, this is how much chaos has entered in um, to the way we were originally designed to function. Now, let me give you another, another important point here, okay? Sin caused enmity, and I put it in all caps here, enmity between God and man. Okay? Enmity between God and man. All right? And so for those of you that this word enmity is kind of new to, this is a word that we started with. Okay, uh, way, way back in class one and two, right? But enmity means um, uh, division, um, lack of harmony. And enmity can be as simple as a difference of opinion all the way to the opposite end of the spectrum of violent hatred. So the cons- it, it, I'm not saying enemy, I'm saying enmity, E-N-M-I-T-Y. And we see that for a born-again believer, the Bible says the carnal again, but we still think like someone who is not, is enmity against God. It's because our spirits have been made one with God, but our minds are still in opposition to Him. So sin caused enmity between God and man. It literally separated us from God. Okay? All right? But it, did, it didn't just cause enmity between God and man. I want you to see this also. Sin caused enmity within man. So you've got, in, you've got the, the enmity that came between us and God, and then we've got the enmity that entered into us. All right? 
So um, I illustrate that with this um, uh, particular uh, drawing, okay? And uh, if you'll notice now, um, the life and nature of God still pointed towards us, but notice enmity has shut it off. And, and so that block with enmity written in it represents the, uh, the enmity uh, that separated us from God, that came in between God and man, okay? But then we also see that after that, enmity entered in. So you see enmity then written between spirit and soul, and then enmity again between soul and body, right? Now, when Jesus died on the cross, he did so to eliminate the enmity between mankind and God, right? And so if you've called upon his name to receive salvation, that separation is gone. He put a new spirit in you. He buried your old one, put a new one in you. And then his spirit and your newly born again spirit have become one spirit, okay? Have become one, united together, all right? That's just straight up good news, all right? But notice now there's still enmity um, that, that, that is residual within us. And that's what discipleship is all about. It, it's about renewing, reconditioning the mind. It's about removing the enmity that still lingers in our thinking, okay? And, and bringing that uh, alignment into, uh, bringing that thinking into alignment with God. It's also called reconciliation, okay? Reconciliation. Another big word like mayonnaise, okay? But think about, and, and this, I don't know, I'm going to have to reevaluate using this uh, illustration. Uh, next year because folks have, have gotten so far away from reconciling a checkbook, all right? But if you can understand the concept, you know, you've got your checkbook registry if you keep it on your phone or whatever, you know, and you got how much money you think you have, but then you get a statement from the bank, and it's when you reconcile your checkbook, it's when you bring your totals into, you know, debits and credits into alignment with the bank's totals, all right? And I don't know about you, but, you know, sometimes you think you've got more or less money. It's always good when you have more money than you thought you had, okay? But sometimes it's the other way. Um, but notice now, the reconciling is bringing one into alignment with the other. And so when we talk about being reconciled to God, our spirits have been reconciled to God. But it's our soul now that's coming into alignment. Because, you know, for instance, uh, if God says you are just as right before Him in His eyes as Jesus and you continue to think and say, no, I'm not. You don't know what I did yesterday. You don't know what I thought this morning. You don't know what I'm planning on doing tomorrow. See, that's enmity against God. Um, that's why I will tell you over and over again, the best advice I can ever give anybody is agree with God and agree with Him quickly. If God says you're righteous, quit arguing with Him. Say, thank you, sir, for making me righteous. I don't see how I still, you know, am struggling in this area of my flesh and in my thinking. But see, the more you see yourself as the righteousness that you've become, the more that righteousness will start carrying over into your behavior. As opposed to trying to back your way into it by a lifestyle of righteousness to make yourself righteous, you accept by faith that God has made you righteous, and I believe I'm righteous, and because I believe I'm righteous, I confess that I'm righteous, and, I'm gonna, and, and now you start to see that righteousness, the power of God's righteousness, that's already in you as a born-again believer becoming an outward expression of life. Oh, I get stirred up about this right now. Okay, So watch this. Righteousness by faith. Okay, Does faith say, I believe it when I see it? Is that how faith works? No, faith says, you know what? I don't see it, but because God says it, I believe it. Faith doesn't go by the way things look, seem, and feel. Right. So if God says you're righteous, what did Jesus say to those folks in John 6? Your work is to him whom God has sent, to believe on him whom God has sent. So if God says you're righteous, your work then is to believe.
believe what he says, to confess what he says, even when there's no outward evidence yet, no visible evidence yet to support it. Faith is the evidence of things, uh, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Right? Okay, praise the name of the living God. So enmity then that came within us, it's still there after you're born again. Um, it's no longer, there's no longer enmity between you and God, but now there's enmity that is residual within us. And this is the process of rooting that out. Uh, the Bible says every tree that my father did not plant has to be rooted out. And so we got all these trees planted in us, things from the world's point of view, things from religion's point of view, things mom and them believe that God never said, so forth, get rooted in our hearts and our minds and our thinking, and they've got to be rooted out. And the only way to root them out is with the truth. That's why Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you will be my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. What is the truth making you free from? Not just free from your sin and, and, and the old person you were, but truth is setting you free on a continual basis from the wrong thinking, the wrong believing, uh, the wrong mindsets, the wrong attitudes that have been cultivated in us over many years. Yeah. All right? Praise God. Now, let's talk about these three right quick. All right? First of all, God conscious, or you could say God consciousness. We talk about being God conscious. We're talking about being God aware. Okay, so that word conscious, if that's too big of a word for you, just um, just use aware there. All right. But when God created uh, Adam and then from Adam created Eve. Okay, we see that um, that they were uh, only God conscious, God aware. Now, what we mean by that is everything that they uh, uh, knew and understand and understood about themselves, about their future, about life. Uh, as far as what was going on in, in the garden around them, um, th they understood that and their awareness uh, of, of, of all those things and how to function in those situations. It came from God and God only. Okay? And, um, and as, as I often point out to you, one of the, uh, one of the sadder milestones in, in, in human history came very early in the history of human beings on this planet. And, and this was when uh, God asked Adam, you know, you know, why are you hiding? And he says, because I'm naked. And God says, who told you you were naked? And, and what we see now is that for the first time in human history, a human being has come to a conclusion about himself uh, with information that did not originate from God. Okay? Uh, in other words, Adam now is believing things about himself that did not originate from God's heart and God's mind. It came from Satan and from the choices that he was tempted and gave into. And so now he is, you know, back to that self-image, right? He's seeing himself in a different light than the light of truth that came originally from God. So when Adam uh, was only God aware, okay, um, but then once he sinned, um, he became sin conscious. Am I going too fast for y'all tonight? Okay. He became sin. Remember, all these are archives. You can go back and, and watch them later. Okay. So he became sin conscious. What does this mean? It means he, 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 he messed up and he knew that he did. He became aware of his sin. He became conscious of his sin. Now, here's a very important point. Please don't miss it. Okay. Adam did not lose his God consciousness once he gained sin consciousness. He became aware of his sin, but he's also now aware of God. And so he's go, he goes to hide from God. Are you seeing this? It wasn't like he was only God conscious, then he sinned, and he's like, God who? No, it's like, oh my goodness, you know, he's coming. He comes every day in the cool of the evening. 
I've got to hide, right? So he goes from only being God conscious to, to, to being both God conscious and sin conscious. Sin consciousness. Sin consciousness, all right? Now, if you had to guess between spirit, soul, and body, which one would you think consciousness resides in? Who's the key player in consciousness or awareness? Soul, thank you. Your mind, okay? So now his mind has become corrupted with a consciousness and awareness of his sin. Listen, I'm going to say some, some, some pretty uh, extreme things tonight. They're all true. Every one of them is true in Scripture, okay? Um, but what we know is that our sin problem as born-again believers has been resolved, okay? Every sin that you've ever committed or ever will commit has already been bought and paid for, okay? And, and so we know that. Yet, an awareness of our sin tends to linger. And Satan uses that sin consciousness that lingers in our minds to continue to not only use it as a means of tempting us to sin more and continue in pattern or habitual sin, but he also uses the awareness of our sin to make us feel guilty, to make us feel ashamed, to make us feel unworthy, to make us feel less than, to make us feel incompetent, to make us feel incapable, to make us feel like mere men. Are you seeing this? Okay. So sin consciousness. Now, we see God consciousness, sin consciousness. Then, after having become immediately sin conscious, Adam became self-conscious. He became self-conscious. This, this is why he's like, oh, I'm naked, right? You know, um, he became self-conscious. Now, this is going to be kind of a big statement. I'll put it on the screen. I think it's pretty self-explanatory, but let's put it on the screen. Because with each passing generation, mankind has become more and more sin and self-conscious and less and less God-conscious. Are you seeing this shift? Right? We went from, as God created us, I'm sorry, I, let me leave that up there for those of you who are watching on the, on the stream. All right. Um, with each passing generation, mankind has become more and more sin and self-conscious and less and less God-conscious. Right? So we were created to, to, to only look at life and, and see ourselves in light of what God says. And that has become less and less, and sin consciousness and self-consciousness has become more and more. Now watch this. Watch this, okay? Until the days of Noah, where the Bible says every thought in every heart was only evil continually, with the exception of Noah, who found favor in the eyes of God. Every Think about what he's saying now. Every thought in every heart, only evil continually. What does that mean? It means that humanity, with the exception of Noah and his family, had completely lost any awareness of God. See? Wow. All right? Now, are you seeing then a little more why the... The renewing, the reconditioning of the mind as it applies to uh, the, the soul, right? Because what's been done in our spirit through the new birth is perfect. He has perfected forever. Those who are being sanctified. Sanctification now is taking part in the soul and the body, the behavior in that order, okay? But we have been made perfect through the new birth 
at the spirit level of our existence. Whew, come on now, you got you. Help us, Jesus. Okay, perfect righteousness, perfect holiness. Okay, at the spirit level of your being. So now, remember, I've got lots of favorite ways, not just lots of ways, lots of favorite ways to define discipleship. Okay, one is discipleship is finding out who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. So you became something through the new birth that you were not before. Okay, but your mind's playing catch up. You, and I don't mean like what you put on a hamburger or french fries. I'm talking about catching up with what's already been accomplished in your born-again spirit. So as the mind is renewed to the reality of the born-again spirit, the born-again born spirit, the soul being a valve, begins to leak through to the life reality, and we begin to uh, live the life that, that, that reflects the man or the woman that we became. And so my other favorite way of defining discipleship is when the inward reality of the new birth becomes an outward expression of life. Who you've already become, right, uh, is reflected in how you live your life on a daily basis. And because the part that is key in that happening is the soul, it's a done deal in the spirit, but the soul, remember, is an ongoing progressive work. Okay, The more your mind is renewed to the reality of the new birth, the more your image, the image you have of yourself is renewed and lines up with the reality of the new birth, the more that new birth reality will be reflected in your daily life reality. So, sometimes these things come out of my mouth, and, I, and, and I, listen, listen, I, I'm not exaggerating this when I say there were times in my life I would have given any I had and went and borrowed 10,000 more dollars for somebody to explain this to me. Because I, I struggled for years trying to understand the Bible, because, you know, it's like I've been made righteous. Well, I must not be saved then because I'm not living a righteous life. So, you know, it's just so confused by all of this. And, and then when the Lord began to reveal to me that I was a three-dimensional being, you know, how can I be perfect and still be, need to be sanctified? But again, my spirit has been made perfect, but my soul is in a, is in a process of being reconditioned, renewed, reprogrammed, so that the inward reality of the new birth can become an outward expression of life. We've been, among other things, in our Wednesday evening service, we've been talking about some of these new birth realities. And these are not things that you're, you're trying to become. Um, one of the simple things the Lord showed us in that study, and I mentioned it earlier, okay, is that you look into a mirror to see what you cannot see otherwise. And those of you guys that get to stay on Wednesday nights, okay, I appreciate you bearing with me for just a moment, okay? But when you look into a mirror, you look into a mirror to see what you cannot see otherwise. I do not look into a mirror to see my hand. I can see my hand without a mirror. And so we see that God's Word is the perfect uh, mirror. It's, it's the perfect law of liberty. It's, it's as if you're looking into a mirror. There's all kinds of verses that talk about this, okay? And so when you look into the mirror of God's Word, this is where you cannot see. Uh, I'm sorry, this is, <laughs> this is where you can see what you can't see in a natural mirror. You can see a reflection of your born-again spirit in the mirror of God's Word. Okay, So wh why, do we, why do we need a mirror to show us this? Because you can't see it any other way. Now, do I look into a mirror to see what I'm going to look like 20 years from now? Do I look into a mirror to see what I hope to look like one day? No, I look into a mirror to see what I look like right now. Now, I may need to change some things. I may need to wash my face. I may need to comb my hair. But that mirror doesn't, 
that mirror doesn't lie. It tells me what my outward man looks like in that moment. Am I right about this? See, the mistake people make is they look into the mirror of God's Word and they see a reflection of a man who's just as right with God in the eyes of God as Jesus, and they think, okay, well, maybe one day I'll become that. No, no, see, that's, you're seeing the reality of who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. But you don't believe it. You think maybe one day. You're seeing an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. You're seeing as Christ is, so are you in this world right now. And we look in the, in the, in the mirror of God's Word and we see this reflection of our born-again spirit and we start looking around our, to see who He's talking about. Because we don't think it's us. But it's you. It's you, right? So we look into that mirror and we're not a, we're not a forgetful hearer. We look into that mirror and we're going, man, Shazam, check that out. Praise God. And, and we begin to allow that image are being transformed into the same image. 2 Corinthians 3. Okay. All right. Praise the name of the living God. So, in the time that we have remaining, I want to talk to you about understanding the new birth. Um, and and, and he, in here, I, the title slide says, Understanding Salvation and the New Birth. Okay, understanding salvation and the new birth. And I think, you know, sometimes we hear these um, expressions, we hear this terminology, and, um, and we think, well, you know, what, what is this, right? How, what are we talking about here? Well, let's see if I can say it this way. Um, if, if you have been saved, okay, <laughs> If you've received the gift of salvation, if you walk the aisle, if you've asked Jesus into your heart, okay, called upon the name of the Lord, you've received salvation. So He saved you. Now, if let's say that you were in a rip current, you know, in the Gulf of Mexico, and um, were in danger of, of perishing in, in those waters because you just couldn't swim anymore, you couldn't fight it anymore, your legs were cramping up, whatever, okay. You didn't wait 30 minutes after you ate the hot dog and got in the water. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and someone saved you. They would have saved you from drowning and they would have saved you from the water that you were drowning in. Okay. So when we say that Jesus saved us, what did he save us from? Now, the, 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 the answer that most people would give is that he saved us from our sins. And while that is a correct answer, it is far from a complete answer. Because Jesus rescued us or saved us from far more than our sins. Now, we're going to talk about that. But before we go any further, I want to try to make the connection between his saving us, Him rescuing us, the salvation that we've received, and what the Bible refers to as being born again, or the new birth, being born from above, being born of the Spirit. Okay, um, We were all born of the flesh when we were born from our mother's womb, but those who have been born a second time, according to John chapter 3, um, we see in 1 Peter 1, 23, is, is that we've been born of the Spirit. We've been born a second time, a spiritual rebirth. And remember, the Spirit is the real you. So the real you's been born a second time, right? And so the new birth relates to salvation 
in, in this simple way, all right? Um, in order for him to save us, we had to be born a second time, okay? In other words, we receive salvation, the gift of salvation, by God enabling us to be born a second time. In other words, the only way to, to be rescued from what we had to be rescued from was for our old man to literally die and for a new man to be born in us, okay? And so that's the connection between salvation and the new birth. I normally save that and mention it towards the end, but um, I, I don't know that we're going to have the time to properly develop that at the end, and so I want to at least go ahead and make that connection, and it can kind of become a backdrop to provide context for what we're going to be talking about moving this moving forward, okay? So um, Paul uh, made this uh exclamation in Romans 7 and 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then we see in Luke 19 and 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Okay? Now, when we say that Jesus came to save us from our sins, that is an accurate statement. But I said a moment ago that it's an incomplete statement. Because when we talk about our sin, what we're really talking about then is our behavior. Am I correct? Our behavior, right? We're talking about sinful behavior. At least that's what a lot of people think when we think of uh, behavior or our sinful behavior. Well, of the spirit, soul, and body, um, obviously we can, according to Jesus, we can you know, lust and do things in our mind that would, uh, that would become sin or be sinful. But I think the primary... Uh, 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 you know, dimension that sin occurs in, behavior occurs in, is what? Our body, right? Okay, yes, are you seeing this? We commit sin in, in, in our body, in the flesh. All right. So if to only say Jesus came to save us from our sin, um, that's incomplete because our problems went much deeper than our behavior. Think about that for a minute now. Um, we see throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, that um, you know, our, our behavior is not what our behavior should be because our thinking is not what our thinking should be. Jesus said that your thoughts are not my thoughts and, 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 and therefore your ways are not my ways. You don't think like I think and therefore you don't live the way I created you to live. So just to say that he came to save us from our sinful behavior uh, doesn't go deep enough. It doesn't go far enough. And remember, there was a system under the Old uh, Testament sacrificial system for the covering over of sin. In other words, the Bible is very clear. The soul that sins shall die, but, but our Heavenly Father loving die. And so he would allow an animal in the Old Testament to die instead of the person who committed sin. All right? But we've established throughout our time together that there is a powerful connection between the way we think in our hearts and the way we behave outwardly, all right? So we could say then, you know, so Jesus came to save us from wrong thinking, Pastor Mark? Is that what you're getting at? Well, certainly he did. But what if I was to tell you that our problems went much deeper than our thinking? So if behavior corresponds with our body, our flesh, thinking, I think, obviously corresponds with our soul. Okay? But 
that's two of the three. All right. Now, Jesus didn't come to only change our bad behavior and wrong thinking. He came to change our nature. Okay? That's very important. Jesus came to change your nature. Now, if behavior corresponds with your body, and if thinking corresponds with your soul, I think it's pretty clear, right, by process. You remember, did, did you enjoy those uh, matching tests in school, right? You know, if you had one you weren't sure about, you, you matched all the ones up that you, <laughs> that you were sure about in that kind of process of elimination, right? So process of elimination, we see that our nature then corresponds with our spirit. Again, your spirit is the real you. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. So Jesus didn't come to only change. Certainly he came to change our behavior. But he knew that, that unless uh, he changed our thinking, our behavior would never change. But he also knew that unless he changed our nature, right, there would be no way for our thinking to ever have anything to reconcile itself to. So Jesus came to change our nature. Now, if you can understand that, then you understand why Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus is talking about the new birth. And he also said in the same conversation with um, Nicodemus that you, strong word now, you must be born again. Okay? Must be. Not a suggestion, not you ought to look into, not if you get around to it, not, you know, this is an option available to you that you might want to try out. Or something. No, Jesus used a very strong word. You must be born again. Why is this? It's because being born a second time is the only way to change a man or a woman's nature. It cannot be changed any other way. And so this is why the new birth that Jesus bought and paid for, for everyone who calls upon His name. He came to His own and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to those individuals, He gave the power, the right, the privilege, the ability, the authority to become sons and daughters of God. And He goes on to say, not, not talking about being born of the flesh, the will of man, uh, but being born of God. Okay? Born of God. All right? Now, oh, thank you, Jesus. Let's, let's do this. And I'll, amen. All these verses are important. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 17. We're, we're, our target is verse, is verse 23. But it says this, If you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves through the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. He goes on to say, But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, 
He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest, revealed in these last times for you, who through Him believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Now, I started just to go straight to verse 23. Verse 23. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Okay? When something is born, there are seed involved. And so when we were born again, there is seed, capital S, E-E-D, involved. Now, he talked in these verse speed through this, but he talked about the aimless conduct. Right? He talked about the purifying of your souls. And then he talked about being born again of an incorruptible seed. Do you see again the parallels between spirit, soul, and body? Born again of an incorruptible seed, that's the spirit. The purifying of your souls, that's the ongoing progressive work of discipleship. He's talking about being redeemed from the aimless conduct. Our conduct, how we conducted ourselves, right? Uh, in, in, in our flesh. Okay? Now... This is one of the simplest but most important things that you will hear me say tonight and for you to acknowledge and accept in in your heart and in your life, okay? And that is this. The new birth is a literal experience. Okay? The new birth is a literal experience. Literal as opposed to what? Literal as opposed to figurative. Literal as opposed to something that is metaphorical. Right? So we use expressions like turning over a new leaf. You even hear people say, it's as if I was born again. Okay? And there is a tendency for us to think of the new birth as a figurative experience. My friend, that is the devil's business and the devil's lie. He never wants you to come to terms with, he never wants you to acknowledge that when you were born again and received salvation, you became a new creation. You became something through that experience, through that birthing that you were not before. Now, Jesus said you must be born again. Why is it necessary for a man or woman to be born again? And how did Jesus make it possible? Now, in order to understand why we must be born again and how that relates to being saved, salvation, rescue, okay, you have to understand exactly what it is that Jesus came to rescue us from. As we've already established, it's more than our wrong behavior. It's more even than our bad thinking. Jesus came to rescue us from a fallen, broken nature. Right? And so literally, literally, Jesus came to save us from the corrupted seed of Adam. He came to save you from the corrupted seed of Adam. Now, I feel like I feel like I'm losing some of you, all right? And I, and I was a little bit pace, 
Um, I've been, you know, trying to be more diligent in, in my exercise. And have you ever heard the old timers? They talk about they walk to school um, in the snow, uphill both ways. Well, I literally, I live at the bottom of two hills. If you go out of my driveway and go right, you go up a hill. If you go out of my driveway and go left, you go up a hill. And the, the better bike riding is to the left, but the bigger hill is to the left. And so I've learned that even if I can ride up that hill, I'm still at a stage where I push my bike up that hill so that I can then get on my bike and ride 8, 7, 10 miles, whatever, uh, as opposed to trying to climb that hill and tire myself out, and then I don't get the benefit of the long distance ride. Are you with me? All right. So I was a little concerned about us. You know, we, we set a pretty rapid pace in the beginning, and I, I, I don't want you to get tired out on me, okay? So amen. amen? Are we clear so far? It's really important, okay? We're, we're lining upon lining. We're laying brick fast tonight, okay? All right. So we were saved from the corrupted seed of Adam. Remember what 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, and I like to point this out to you um, when it's available. Um, the, the, the numbers here, 123, 123, 1 Peter 123, it's a really good way to remember that, okay? And what we see in 1 Peter 1 and 23 is that we have been born again from an incorruptible seed. Well, the reason we must be born time from an incorruptible seed is because the first time we were born of the flesh, we were born of corrupted seed. This is a challenging concept sometimes for people to, to embrace, okay? But what the Bible teaches, and, and I'm believing the Holy Spirit's going to help you just grab it lightning fast, is what the Bible teaches is that when Adam sinned, we all sinned. Because we were all in Adam when he sinned. We were all in Adam in seed form. Now that's, amen. If we had six more weeks, okay. Um, we were all in Adam in seed form. Now that, that's kind of bizarre. But part of our ability to understand that truth is, is reflected in need to understand the power of seed. You see, when the seed was corrupted, when Adam sinned, we were literally, I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, we were in his loins. We were in him in seed form. So everyone born after Adam was born of corrupted seed. They were born biologically alive but spiritually dead. Okay? Now, one example that we go to, we won't go there tonight, is where we see in Hebrews, we see in Hebrews where Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek. Now, if you know biblical history, Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, but Levi, right, was a few generations after that the tribe of Levi, the Levitical priesthood. The writer of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is trying to explain to us the supremacy of Jesus as our high priest and how he is, because Jesus wasn't born from the tribe of Levi, was he? 
What tribe was Jesus from? Anybody remember? Judah, right? So they're like, how could Jesus be our great high priest? The Messiah is our great high priest. Jesus wasn't a, a, a Levi, okay? He, he, a Levite, he, he was from Judah. And Jesus says he's not of the Levitical priesthood. He's of the order of Melchizedek. And this, um, this order is superior to the Levitical priesthood because, among other things, the Levitical priesthood, the entire Levitical priesthood paid tithes to Melchizedek. And you're going, when they paid those tithes to Melchizedek, when Abraham paid them and they were in Abraham in seed form. They were still in the loins of Abraham when Abraham paid tithes. And when Abraham paid tithes, the Levitical priesthood in him in seed form paid tithes to Melchizedek. See the power of seed. The power of seed. We could go for hours on that one. All right, but just stay with me now. So we were in Adam in seed form. I've got some really good news for you, okay? It was not your seed. Thank you, Holy Spirit. It was not your sin that made you a sinner. Did you know that? It's not your sin that made you a sinner. I'm not saying you haven't sinned. I'm not saying that I haven't sinned. But it was not your sin that made you a sinner. It was Adam's sin. That's why the Bible says things like you were born in iniquity. You know, everybody says, well, he's just a bad seed. We were all born from bad seed. That's why we all must be born again from a seed that has not been corrupted. And watch this now, a seed that cannot be corrupted. <laughs> See, seed reproduced after their kind. Your born again spirit was born from a seed that cannot be corrupted. That's why you're born again spirit last week, right? His seed abides in your born-again spirit. You don't sin because you can't sin. Spirit only. But that's who you really are. Still with me? Okay. Power of seed. Remember what the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul revealed to us in Galatians. And seed can be one or seed can be ten million. Right? It's one of those words that the plural and the singular are the same word. And we see that God made all these promises to the seed of Abraham. Y'all remember that? Okay. What we didn't find out until the New Testament is that the seed of Abraham should have been capitalized this whole time because the seed of Abraham is Jesus. Amen. The seed. And the promise was made to the seed so that, what, all the benefits could be for everyone who was born again from the seed. That's why... Jesus became a curse for me and lifted the curse off of me. And now the blessing of Abraham is upon me, even though I'm a non-biological descendant of Abraham. Because the blessing upon Abraham was not just made to Abraham, but it was made to the seed of Abraham. And I happen to be in the seed of Abraham now. I happen to be in Christ. When I was born of David and Brenda Winslet, I was born of the corrupted seed of Adam. And I was in Adam when Adam sinned. But now I've been born a second time. I'm no longer in Adam. I am in Christ. Are you seeing this now, right? This is why their scriptures identify Christ, Jesus, as the last Adam. So this helps me to think of it this way. Think of Adam as, first Adam, as the fountainhead of a human race. We were all in him. We all descended from him. Now we've been born again of an incorruptible seed 
We were born out of darkness into light, out of death into life, out of the kingdoms of this world and kingdoms of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. We were born into this. We, we didn't pay our way in. We didn't behave our way in. We were born into it. You can't enter it unless you're born again. You're born in. It's the only way in. Okay? Amen? Amen. Now I am in Christ. Meaning everything that is now true about someone who is in Christ is now true about me and about anybody else who's in Christ. That's the, that's the inward realities of the new birth. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ, right? And we could go on and on and on with that aspect of this, right? But this comes back to the mind being renewed. See, he became, he who knew no sin became sin for you so that you might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Righteousness is something that I became through the new birth. In the same way that when I was born of my mom and daddy's seed, if you've ever seen my daddy, you, I, you could be a crowd of 200 people. And I could be on one end of the room. My daddy could be on the other end of the room. You could look at me and you could look around the room and you could go, there's his daddy. I was born of the seed. I don't dye my hair this color. Shock somebody, you know. But, and I didn't pay for these brown eyes. I was born with them. They're, see, they're characteristics of the seed that produced this physical body. Well, characteristics of the seed that produced my new spirit, Right? I, was, I don't just have righteousness, I am righteous. Righteousness is as much a part of my, of my born-again spirit as brown eyes are a part of, of my uh, uh, biological existence. I was born this way. Uh, correct me, I was born, correct me, Holy Spirit, think I was born again this way. Amen. Amen. All right? So Jesus came to save me from corrupted seed. And that corrupted seed, man, I was separated from God. I had no hope of ever being reconnected, restored with Him. I was doomed, and there was nothing I could do, but, but the Son of God came and provided a way of escape for me. He didn't come to condemn the world. He came to a world already condemned. Right? He came to a world that was already drowning. And He came to provide a way out, a way of escape. Okay? So if you have received salvation, you have been born again from, an, uh, from and by an incorruptible seed which lives forever. Jesus came to save us from the corrupted seed of Adam. The new birth is a literal experience and is the only way to change our nature. Incorrupted means not capable of being corrupted. That's why we've looked at this verse already, 1 John 3, 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin for his seed. God's seed remains in that person, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. Okay, put those on the screen. 1 and 2, then we'll put 3 on in the secondary slide. You still with me? Amen. All right, you guys are awesome. One of the things the Lord's been teaching me a lot about here of late is uh, on the subject of honor. And we got to this point on Sunday, and I didn't really have the time to develop it. We'll hopefully be back in a position to finish this on Sunday, next this coming Sunday. But 
I've noticed over many, many years of preaching and teaching that when I'm endeavoring to serve and minister to people who honor me, um, the, the gift that God has given me, it, 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 it's amazing how um, I'm able to teach and just flow, you know. But then you, you try to you get in front of people who, who do not honor um, the speaker, the pastor, the teacher, whatever. Uh, it's, it's, it's really, really challenging okay, to, to do that. And so I say that to say thank you for honoring um, me. It makes it... Yeah, I, there's another way of saying this, okay, and it's, it's if you've ever tried to feed somebody who's not hungry, who doesn't want to eat, it don't matter what you put, you know, you get everything out of your refrigerator, freezer, I'll go to the store and get you a hamburger, what you, I ain't hungry, you can't, you see, but you take somebody that hadn't eaten in a while, man, anything you put in front of, you know, gobble it up, okay, and so it's good to be uh, in front of a camera with other people on the other side of it that are hungry and certainly in this room, amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 2. It says this, and you, so personalize it now, personalize it, okay? You, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. So pay attention to the, to the tenses here. Were dead. If you were dead and he made you alive, you're not dead in trespasses and sins any longer. In which you once walked. So again, past tense. Once walked according to the course of this world, what everybody else was doing according to the prince of the power of the air, uh, as being influenced by Satan himself, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Pay close attention to the word sons of disobedience. He could have simply said, he could have said to the obedient ones, I'm sorry, to the disobedient ones. It's not just that we were disobedient. It's that we were the offspring of disobedience. Do you see that? We were the offspring of disobedience. It's one thing to be disobedient. It's another thing to be the offspring of disobedience. Meaning what? The offspring of disobedience was born from a corrupted seed, a seed corrupted by disobedience. Verse number three. Among whom, we, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. There's conduct again, right? In the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature people of wrath. Is that what it says? Children, Children of wrath. See, again, offspring of wrath. Children of wrath, just as the others. What does it mean just as the others? It means just like every other human being that ever has lived on this planet that has not yet been born again. Okay? Now, I'm going to put this same verse up again. And I, I, I did this to kind of help you see uh, what you may have already put together. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. So notice I put in there in all caps in parentheses, body. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the Mind, there's your soul, right? And we're by nature, there's your spirit, okay? Children of wrath, just as the others. So here I've modified the drawing. So under spirit, we put the word nature. Under soul, we just reduced it to thinking. Under body, we left the word behavior, okay? Now, praise the name of the living God. This is a really important point, okay? So I'm going to just leave it on a slide overlay here for just a moment. The only way to change the nature of a thing is to change the seed that produced it. You cannot change the nature of a thing any other way. 
The problem Jesus came to solve for us goes all the way down to the seed that produced us. Okay? Now, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Notice what we see here. I point this out not to be cute, but 1 Peter 1, 23. Now we're in 2 Peter. 1 Peter was written first by the Holy Spirit and the Apostle Peter. Now we're in 2 Peter, all right? By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So what is, what is he talking about here? A partaker of the divine nature, exceeding great and precious promises. Well, exceeding great and precious promises is a very uh, poetic and uh, a, a, a expansive way of saying um, the seed of God's Word, the, the, the incorruptible seed by which we were born a second time. And since seed determines the nature of a thing, being born of a corrupted seed produced a corrupt nature in us. Being born a second time of an incorruptible seed produced nature in us. You have become a partaker of the divine nature as a born-again man or woman of God. Let me pause for a, mom, a moment to apologize to everyone who was raised in church and never had a Sunday school teacher, a friend, a mentor, a pastor to tell you this. Okay? Because what religion tells us is that we're just old sinners saved by grace. There is no such thing as an old sinner saved by grace. If you have been saved by grace, you are no longer a sinner. When you were a sinner and you were saved, you were born a second time. The sin nature that you were born with from the corrupted seed of Adam was buried in an unmarked grave with your Savior. And you were raised together with Him to newness of life. You became a new creation through that experience. You died a sinner and you were raised together with Jesus, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I was born again a man right with God having an equal share. That's what partaker means. I have now an equal share with God of the divine nature of God. Amen. Now, let me clear this up real quick. <clears throat> you say, well, Pastor Mark, I'm, I may not be saved then because it sure does seem like I, I, I still have a sin nature. So that's why religion tells us this. Okay? If you understand why it was necessary for for first of all, Jesus as a man to live a sinless life. You realize that as a man living a sinless life, this now put him in the unique position to condemn every one of us to hell because we no longer had the excuse. Not fair, nobody ever could do it, Jesus. You're going to send me to hell for not living a sinless life. You're going to send every other human being to hell for living a sinless because it can't be done. No, Jesus said, yeah, it can be done. I did it. But he didn't do it to condemn you. He did it to save you. He did it so that he could then give you as a man on planet earth righteousness with God because he fought for it and bought it and paid for it and won it and then gave it to you, made you his righteousness so that you now have that. So this is what you've got to understand about these things, okay, is that I'm going to go to this drawing because it's the closest one in my notes. When your spirit was made new, 
The reason it seems like you have two natures, seems like you have two natures, okay, is because your old nature left some residue on your thinking. You do not have two natures. You do not have two natures. Are you hearing me? This, this is one of the biggest lies among a whole bunch of big lies the devil has perpetuated upon the body of Christ is that we now have two natures. My son, nature, my Listen to me. No. The essence of a thing is its nature. The essence of a born-again man is Christ Himself. It doth not yet appear what we shall be like, but we know this, when we stand before Him, we will be like Him because we are as Him in this world right now. Because we've been born of His seed. Seed reproduces after its kind. You are a partaker of the divine nature of God. The old nature that once lived in your body left an imprint upon your mind. This is why our minds are being reconciled. This is why we are being sanctified. We are being set apart from that old dead thinking and, and, and being set apart unto God and His way of thinking. His ways of being and doing right. Okay. Now, Watch this very carefully. The only way to change the nature of a thing is to change the seed that produced it. Behavior cannot change the nature of a thing. Let's get a little more specific, can we? Good behavior cannot change a bad nature. Am I right about this? See, here's, here's the amazing thing about it. I don't know of a church... I don't know of a church within 500 mile radius of this building. I'm sure there's one. But I do not know of a church within a 500 mile radius of this building that I could not make that point in that I wouldn't at least get a grunt or a nod or an amen or something. Okay? That's right, Pastor Mark. You can't be good enough to be saved. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't... You, well, so... But why is that? It's because the problem is not just our behavior and it's not just our thinking. It's our nature. And, 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 the, and we have that nature because we were born of a corrupted seed that produced that nature within us. And so it doesn't matter how good you behave. Good behavior cannot change a bad nature. Why is that? Again, because the nature of a thing is determined by the seed that produced it. Therefore, the only way to change the nature of a thing is to change the seed that it came from. Okay? We still, we still on board? All right. So if that's true, this next point has to be true as well. And that point is this. Bad behavior cannot change a good nature. If behavior can't change it, behavior can't change it. So let's go back to it. Saying good behavior can't change a bad nature. I get a lot of amens on that. But there's a lot of places, if I was to make this statement in right here, they'd come take the microphone away from me. But bad behavior cannot change a good nature because we're talking about something that transcends behavior. You can't behave your way into this. You can't reason or think your way into this. You can only be born into this with a new seed. So we were born sinners. We were born again righteous. A sinner means someone with a sin nature. Born again righteous means someone with a righteous nature. He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Do you remember we said last week that one of the key reasons we need to understand three-dimensional being is because the world and religion will tell you if it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, if it's yellow like a duck, if it's got a beak like a duck, if it's got wings like a duck, if it's got feathers like a duck, if it's got feet like a duck, it must be a duck. Right? 
See, that's one-dimensional thinking. Are you following what I'm saying? You, you look at, remember what the Bible says, from this point forward, we regard no man according to his outward appearance. Why is that? Because the outward behavior does not tell the full story yet of the inward reality. It's very easy to judge somebody who's still struggling. Very easy to judge somebody who's a baby Christian whose mind isn't renewed yet. Very easy to judge somebody or judge yourself because you still struggle in some area. Well, I'm not saved. I gotta get saved. You got some stuff. Listen to me, please. If you've been born again, you are just as right with God as Jesus right now. The only reason you're still struggling in these things in your flesh is because your mind hasn't caught up with what God's already done in your spirit. Right now, let's, let's just make the point a little more. Is it possible for someone with a sin nature to do something right or good? Yes, but doing right and good cannot change their nature from sinner to righteous. Again, if we had time, we'd show you all kind of Bible verses to support this. I think that's pretty well understood. Okay. Is it possible for someone with a sin nature to do something right or good? Yes. But doing right and good cannot change their nature from sinner to to righteous. All right, so watch this now. Is it possible for someone with a righteous nature to do something wrong or bad? Yes. 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 Why, why would someone with a righteous nature still do something wrong or bad? It's because they live in a physical body and their mind hasn't been renewed yet. It's three dimensions, right? So... At the core of your being, you're just as right with God in the eyes of God as Jesus Himself because He made you His righteousness. But if you still think like somebody who's addicted, if you still think like somebody and, and sin consciousness dominates you more than righteousness consciousness, you're probably still going to struggle with a whole lot of sin. But sin doesn't rule you. Sin doesn't rule a born-again man or woman. Let's go back to Galatians 4.1, right? I say now that the heir, as long as he's a child, differs nothing from a slave, though he be Lord of all. I say the heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a slave, though he be Lord of all. You never understand that verse until you understand three-dimensional thinking. When you were born again, you were made ruler of this world. Rule and reign with Christ Jesus. I feel some of you slipping away again, all right? What does it mean to be a child? Ignorant. Ignorance curable. <laughs> Amen. Immature. Immature is curable. How do we cure ignorance? Learning. Letting the Holy Spirit teach us from the Word of God. Submitting ourselves to the men and women that God puts in our lives to teach us. Amen. That He's gifted to teach us. Ignorant. Immature. How do we overcome immaturity? By growth. Growing. All right? Ignorant, immature, unable to speak on his or her own behalf. That's what it means to be a child. I'm telling you that the heir, heir of God, join heir with Jesus. Same standing with God as Jesus himself. Entitled to everything from God the Father that Jesus is entitled to. As long as he's ignorant, immature, unable to speak on his or her own behalf, they're going to live more like a slave than the ruler they actually are. He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So is it possible for someone with a righteous nature to do something wrong or bad? Sure it is. But doing wrong or bad cannot change their nature from righteous to sinner.
feel some of you getting a little nervous on me. Are you still with me? You'll never understand three-dimensional living with a one-dimensional mindset. Okay? Nicodemus is a classic example of one-dimensional thinking. So let's do a quick review. Jesus saved us from the corrupted seed of Adam. Amen? Let me swap back over here. Jesus saved us from the corrupted seed of Adam. The new birth is a literal experience. Seed determines nature, and the only way to change the nature of a thing is change the seed that produced it. We were by nature sons of disobedience and children of wrath. Having been born again of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God, we are now partakers of equal share in the divine nature. That is just straight up good news right there. All right, now. All right. So I want you to imagine for a moment that I was to hand you an orange and I was to ask you, you know, you got, you got 24 hours to, to convert that orange, to get that orange saved and turn it into an apple because everybody knows that apples go to heaven and oranges go to hell. So there's a lot at stake for this orange. And your assignment is to transform this orange into an apple. Okay? Now, we could paint it red. We could stick a stem in it. We could maybe even apply some pressure and try to get it more in the shape of an apple. And so you turn in your project the next day. And let's say you're really artistic and, and you have made it so much look like an apple that the only way I can tell if you did it is if I grab your hard work and I tear it open. And if I tear it open, what I'm going to find is that inwardly that orange, even though it looked like an apple outwardly, inwardly it's still an orange. And the seed that produced it originally is going to still be in it. Are you seeing this? Okay. Because the only way to change that orange into that apple is to change the seed that produced it. But now what does religion do? Religion tries to tell you how long or short your hair should be, how long or short your dress should be, how much makeup, if any, you should wear. Religion says, you know, you should do this and you should do that. And, and notice all of that is about conforming your outward appearance to look outwardly like a believer in Jesus. Jesus did not come to try to conform you outwardly into looking like somebody who follows him without first changing you inwardly. Amen. Now, when he makes you an apple, because apples and oranges are not three-dimensional beings, but when he makes you an apple, you still may appear to be an orange. You may still live like an orange. You may still act like an orange for a while. You, you may still smell like an orange. It's not because you're not an apple. It's because 
when he made you an apple, you still predominantly know how to live like an orange because you know how to think like an orange. You've got to learn now how to think like an apple so that you can live like the apple that he made you. Amen? Are you still with me? All right. Let's tackle this and, and we'll probably be done. Romans chapter 5. I made this statement earlier because it's a very important statement and I wanted to make sure that, um, that we got to it. <clears throat> it was not your sin that made you a sinner and it was not your good works that made you righteous. It's not of works. Okay? Now, let me make this clear because we could, we could, again, spend a lot of time on this. A lot of people try to twist this into saying that, that you know, what, what I do, my works don't matter. That's ridiculous. Okay? Here, here is the proper way to understand this. My right standing with God is not based by or determined by my works. Righteousness is not determined by works. Rewards are. Did you, get, did you catch that? I'm, I'm not working for God to make myself righteous. I'm working for God because he has made me righteous. There's a huge difference. I like to share this story somewhere around this time right here, okay? And I don't know if it's a true story or not, but it makes the point, so we'll go with it, okay? There was a woman. She was married to a man. He was overbearing. He was harsh. He never felt like she was good enough or did anything right. And every day when he would leave for work, he would leave these long lists of things that she had to accomplish. And, and there, would, there would be um, a, a lot of uh, anger and, and even violence at times if he came home from work and she had not checked off every item that he left her on the list. Well, as the story goes, um, that kind of bitterness and stuff, you're not careful, in your life early. Well, he died. And, um, and she later remarried. And she remarried a man who was very loving and kind and who honored her and loved her like Christ loves the church. And she was happily married for many years and she was cleaning out um, some things in the basement one day. And she came across a box full of the, the lists that her first and former husband left her. And she began to look at those things and she began to cry, not because it was stirring up bad memories from his overbearing way of um, you know, trying to control her. But she began to cry because she realized that she was doing everything on those lists for her new husband and more and enjoying it, and he had never asked her to do any of it. You see the difference there, right? She wasn't doing it to be loved, to be accepted. She was doing it because she was loved and she was accepted. And this, this is... Titus 2.11 tells us that grace will teach us to live righteously. It will teach us to live soberly in this present evil world. Okay? So when we, when we say that um, it was not your sin that made you a sinner and it's not your uh, works or your performance that makes you righteous, we're not saying that what we do doesn't matter. But it's, it's one thing to work for God to be accepted by Him versus working for Him because you are accepted by Him. And trust me, I, I, in the early days of, of my walk with the Lord, I, 
I, uh, I worked for him to be accepted and never felt like I was. Um, but, but then I realized, you know what, it's, it's not about what I do. It's about, it's about who he made me and then what I do. See, as long as I am working to be accepted by him, it's not pleasing to him. Remember the younger brother, we call him the prodigal son. He comes home from his wasteful and prodigal living, not to be his father's son. He comes home for his father to give him an opportunity to work his way back into his father's good standing. He's like, no, 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 no. Make me like one of your servants. Right? His father's got the robe, the ring, the shoes, but he's refusing all of that. And he's saying, no, I need to work my way into a place where I then earn those things. I deserve those things, right? Well, here's what you got to understand about your Heavenly Father. He's not going to owe you anything, but He'll freely give you all things. See, see, self-righteousness is our effort to put God in our debt. It's like, okay, I've done enough now, God. You owe me acceptance. I've done enough now, God. You owe me at least one answer prayer. I've done enough now, God. You, you owe me heaven. You owe. Now, see, that's not how any of this works. So it was not your sin that made you a sinner. It was not your good works that made you righteous. It was the first Adam's sin that made us all sinners because we were born of his corrupted seed. It's the last Adam, Jesus, right, that's made us righteous because we've been born a second time of his incorruptible seed. So what we find in Romans 5 is this unique group of people that I call sinless sinners. Sinless sinners. Okay, and if that's an odd uh, expression, um, good, it should be. But let's, let's check it out in Scripture, okay? Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because, notice now, all sinned. Not all will sin, but all sinned. Anybody want to guess who that one man was? It was Adam. You're on it, right? Okay, so through one man, sin entered the world. And what's the consequence of sin? Death. Spiritual death and then uh, later afterwards, physical death. Uh, Zoe lost first, Bios lost last. And so when that one man sinned and opened the door for sin to enter, death came in, sin held the door for death, and notice death spread to the one man who sinned? To all men. Why, did, why would it spread to all men? Because all sinned. Well, wait a second. I didn't eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, but Pastor Mark, you've, you've committed other sins. Well, I, I understand that, but just stay with me, okay? Verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed, when there is no law. Impute means no record kept of it. Okay? Now, this is where you're going to need to put you... Normally, probably about right now, if we had another class, I would, I'd pray and we'd end this class and I'd say, we're going to start fresh on this, but let's, let's, let's push on through, okay? For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Do you know there's places in America where, you know, rural areas where there's no posted speed limit? The speed limit is drive at your own risk. In other words, if you pass a, a state trooper doing 90 miles an hour, you know, they're not going to see you wave, but you can wave at them. And they're not going to come after you. They can't pull you over speeding because there's no law on that particular road that says, you know, to break for you to be ticketed for speeding. 
So what he's saying here is that from the day of Adam, when the only law was given, one law, do not eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay? And Adam and Eve were the only two that broke that commandment. Nobody else broke the only law God had established. Well, too long to Moses, now God gives more laws. So you've got all these people who lived from Adam to Moses. Let me throw in another. They lived and died. <laughs> they died. And yet they never sinned. Because the only sin available to them to commit would have been to eat from the fruit like Adam and Eve did. But they didn't eat from that fruit. So these men and women, according to God's record, He never imputed this. That's not saying that people weren't doing things that were wrong. okay? But because God is not going to hold them accountable for sinning if He doesn't tell them, if you do this, it's a sin. No law was passed other than the one. Nobody broke that law other than Adam and Eve. And yet, every person from Adam and Eve to Moses died because of sin. They're sinless sinners. Nevertheless, verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. And of course, that's speaking of our Savior, Jesus. Okay? So every human being was in Adam when Adam sinned, in him in seed form. Therefore, when Adam sinned, we all sinned, and at that point, we all became sinners. So you got folks who lived from Adam to Moses who never sinned, but they died. Why? Because they were born of corrupted seed. Do you see the point that he's trying to make here? All right. Then, of course, he goes on. Romans 5 is one of my favorite, and i got lots of favorite chapters. Romans 5 is one of my favorite. This is where he goes on to explain that if through one man's disobedience many were made sinners, how much more through one capital M man's obedience are many made righteous? Amen. See, how much more? In other words, what is he saying here? See, we, we think of sin as, as being very you know, sturdy, sin will kill you. But then we think of, of, of God's grace and salvation as flimsy and weak, and if you commit one sin after you're born again, it just is all over, you're back to ground zero. No, no, my friend. If Adam's sin was powerful, and it was, the grace of Jesus to save us. And so he goes on to say, he says, look, if, if he died for us while we were yet sinners, if he loved us enough to die for us while we were yet sinners, how much more now that we've been reconciled to him by the blood of his son? If, if he loved us enough to die for us while we were outsiders, now that we're his very own children born of his seed, how much more will we be saved by his life? If his death has brought salvation and new birth to us, how much more now His life in us will it sustain us and keep us because He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it under the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Listen, I know there's probably thousand other things that we could cover. Um, 
1 Corinthians jumps in on this, right? 15. In Adam all die. In Christ all shall be made alive. First man Adam became a living being. Last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterwards the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. That's why we see in 1 John, as he is, so are we in this world. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit in corruption. Right? So we didn't, we've been born. That's why we're not, we're, not, we're not corruption anymore. Last verse. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Amen. Father, thank you for this 18th year. Lord of Discipleship Counselor Training Class. Father, thank you for the many men and women who have um, committed themselves over the course of this year, Lord, to, to various opportunities in this class. And Lord, I just uh, I thank you, Lord, for, for what you're doing among us and how you're helping us and what you're showing us. I thank you, Father, for the benefit that we've received personally and individually Lord, from the truths that we've covered and the Holy Spirit has helped us to, to incorporate into our thinking and into our lives. But, Father, the goal from the beginning is not just for our own individual personal benefit, but so that we might be better equipped to be more effective in the ministry of reconciliation that you've committed to every single one of us. Lord, thank you that we are men and women who've made the uncommon commitment to discipleship. And, Lord, what you're doing in us, you're doing through us. Lord, it takes a disciple to make a disciple. And so, Lord, I thank you that you're raising up disciple makers from this group. Lord, I thank you that no weapon formed against them will prosper. I thank you that the enemy, Lord, will not use religion or deception or lies from, from the devil to steal the truths that you've planted in their hearts, but that they will water them and that they will be watered by others. And, Father, that these things will continue to grow and they'll produce fruit in their lives for your glory 30, 60, 100-fold over. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. And amen. praise God. Your love, know that you're loved. Your commitment um, this year has been uh, very encouraging. We, we started kind of slow uh, this year. I know COVID and people shaking off some of the effects of that. Um, but uh, we finished strong. Amen. And, um, and I am so, so thankful. I've, I stood here during COVID speaking to that. Well, it was actually another camera um, in those days. But uh, with nobody else in the room. And um, it's, it's a lot more enjoyable. Uh, to have beautiful folks like you in here. So please know that I love you and, and I'm thankful for you. Amen. Amen. Praise God.